Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. David, when the pandemic started, we talked about, or there was a lot of talk about how we were going to get through this together and how the country might become more unified. What happened? Well, John, I mean, pretty clearly, you know, we're here a couple of years later uh, and COVID-19 has become extremely political and a real divider, not at all a unifier. I remember, you know, talking about we're all being in it together and it really, it really wasn't, wasn't the case. And John, I think we should, uh, we should talk about that. Um, I'm guessing, not that I don't want us to be united, but my view is probably going to be different uh, from yours on that one. But I want to suggest something we can all agree on to start with, which is that let's ask our listeners to do something really important. Let's ask them, subscribe to Care Talk on your favorite podcast service, and that way you'll be certain to get your weekly dose. So John, I mean, it's, it's, it's undoubtedly the case that COVID has become very political. I mean, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's, it's context here, David, in case you missed it, is that America's kind of divided already. We've got uh, red states and blue states, and the way communication and politics has worked through mass media uh, is that you've got the centralized channels, the Foxes and the MSNBCs, pushing extreme views of both sides, fracturing the dialogue. You've got social media, the evil social media, David, that actually makes make, make, makes a lot of money by cultivating and focusing and rewarding rage or passion, anger or love towards any particular position. And so you've got a toxic mix of political disagreements uh, cultivated by the divider in chief, uh, your buddy Trump. You've got structural communication breakdown where I don't think we all even agree on what the facts or the truth, the truth in quotes is. And finally, you've got a massive, endlessly profitable, monopolistic information economy with Google and Facebook and Twitter, all of which you I'm sure you've invested in, just focusing on what divides us versus what unites us. I mean, I think that unified conversation uh, is 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 one that it's, it, it would be great if we could have it, but it would it, you, planting those roots in this toxic garden of disagreement would be really hard. John, we have talked about, I think, both lamented the uh, decline of newspapers, and it used to be everybody get the paper, and there's a value of having an editor who kind of decides what's on the the front page, and it gives you something common to to talk about. There's something um, else here that was going on in addition to all the things that you said, which, uh, you know, heaven forbid, I think I'm actually going to agree with, but which is that in the early parts of the pandemic, you know, people were, everyone was staying at home. So they had a lot of time to look at these different media uh, as well. It wasn't just that they were, uh, media were out, social media were out there causing uh, divisiveness and the president, of course, being on TV every day with it. But people were, you know, sitting around looking for, looking for something to do. And this is where it was. I guess, I mean, I was thinking about how this pandemic and this disease are different, being more political than some some other ones. And I guess maybe you're saying it's all related to the time factor uh, of where we are in the world. But I, I think about HIV, you know, it always struck me that this was an illness that mostly afflicted uh, gay men uh, at a time, you know, well before uh, gay marriage or, or gay rights were, were mainstream. 
and yet we sort of took it on as a, as a country with some exceptions, um, managed to put a lot of federal dollars uh, against it. And somehow that seems like that would have been a lot more political, but, but somehow it was less so. I mean, maybe I guess the question is, what, what would happen if, if HIV had come up now? You are such an idealist. You are such an idealist, David. At the time of HIV, you forget it was seen as, as, as God's answer to men's or women's bad behavior. It was a, a pox on in the early, late 70s, early 80s, when um, there was actually a fair amount of Social disregard and uh, and and certainly the some members of the uh, of right some right wingers some some po- some folks posing as religious leaders actually said this is sort of God's rage and and the cost of uh, bad behavior as they described it you know heterodox sexual behavior and I just you know and it was it actually uh, President Reagan eventually um, embraced it. But the the embraced the cause, and actually Anthony Fauci was around at the time. But if you recall, the advocates were fighting forcefully to prioritize HIV and AIDS as a public policy issue. Much of the public policy establishment didn't embrace it, and to the extent that people had an opinion, it was often, uh, you know, a, a, you know, sort of anti-homophobic, uh, dangerously homophobic. And reductionists. So actually, I think that there is a you're, you're papering over that. I think we eventually got there, but whether you go back to the 1918, the flu, the, the Spanish flu, where which I don't recall, by the way, I do I do recall were, the early days of HIV, but I'm not this. Oh, I thought you were I I thought you were around then. Um, if you but 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 I think the context there is even in 1918. People, certain political leaders were fighting mask mandates. Um, you know, the the classic example being, you know, St. Louis and Philadelphia at the time were about the same size. St. Louis took its public health responsibilities seriously and banned social gatherings at the peak as it was peaking. Um, Philadelphia, uh, uh, ignoring that, decided to have a uh, a Liberty March where they brought together the city. And I think they had the six times uh, the death rate of St. Louis with a, an identically matched population. You had, you had, you had the mayor of San Francisco very famously being willing to pay the price, pay the fee, if you will, um, the misdemeanor fine for not wearing his mask. Some of this kind of mask craziness unwillingness to follow the best public advice at the time. This isn't new. You know, there's a, there's a, you know, as, as, as a French acquaintance of mine said, you know, when you, when you, when you look into New York Harbor, it's not the uh, statue of community, it's the statue of Liberty. And so I think that, you know, you're, you're on an area where Americans are prone to push back against government action. I do think this is probably, um, more dangerous now that the divide is more dangerous now but the divide shouldn't surprise you david and the pushback against I me mean, health the reason we don't even have a decent common public health you know, system in the us is partially because um it's we have we have we have a little bit of a live free or die culture in healthcare well john i said you said a lot of things there and um i guess you're trying to sort of cover up the sun there of my idealism and say there's Nothing new under the sun as well, although the shade is all is all out there. I mean, I think going back to the discussion about um, HIV, 
It's an interesting one because, as you say, there was a lot of kind of homophobia, discrimination, even this idea about it's, you know, God's punishment and so on. Uh, but the people that were activists there, they did some really smart things that maybe we can learn from. So, for example, you know, they started by throwing paint, chaining themselves to the fences of uh, drug companies and the FDA and, and so on. Made a lot of noise, you know, with ACT UP, for example, didn't get that much progress up, up front. But then what happened is that they figured out how to actually work with the drug companies and with the FDA, got a lot of money for research and development, real innovations uh, you know, in terms of uh, treatments uh, and then campaigns on uh, prevention uh, and so on. And then even under you know, President uh, George W. Bush, he started uh, PEPFAR back in 2003, which I know doesn't go back as far as you like to go, uh, but looking at actually how to address HIV in Africa with treatment and prevention and, and research, uh, which was good for the world, but also helped to protect uh, the U.S. So it actually, the story came out pretty well on HIV, uh, despite uh, some of the, the, you know, the calamitous forces that were there, as you described. So uh, we eventually got there, but, but HIV didn't affect the population as broadly. I mean, it wasn't a pandemic. Uh, except to, except within a, a certain part of the population. I think we've got more, more likely to make progress on that kind of scale problem than we are about broad pandemics. I think the question is really, where do we go from here? We used to, if you go back to the divide, you know, we started with a, a pandemic that was affecting the blue states more than the red states, which you could sort of argue they're in the South and the West, and perhaps they were they were they were they were less reactive because of the the burden of disease, um, and they're more oriented towards liberty and anti-government. But we now f- see in red states a death rate from COVID that's three to five times the, the 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 rate of the death rate in blue states. And if anything, the divides are getting deeper, and we're not coming together like you suggested and and I think correctly suggested happened in HIV. So where what what do you think is different now? Well I think um I'm I'm gonna give the the optimistic uh, view since you've already painted me as the idealist uh, as well as being a Trump supporter, which I'm not sure how those two things go together. So let's let's stick with the idealistic uh view. And I think there's an opportunity here for COVID to become less political over time. And in fact, possibly even in this coming year ahead of us, 2022. Let me explain why. So first of all, I think with the vaccines working well, it means that the people that are vaccinated are not as threatened by those who you know have some other uh, view and are not you know anti-vaccine or just vaccine hesitant. And also with new treatments, it means that you don't need such aggressive public health measures. I mean, if, if it turns out that some of these new pills work as well as they uh, they seem to in, in the lab, then maybe, you know, won't need to wear masks so much. So it won't be so much uh, in your face. And then mandates are actually, even though they stir up more trouble uh, in terms of more divisiveness in the near term, if people, if the mandates are actually upheld and they're implemented, people get vaccinated, they, they tend to start to reconcile their views with their actions. If they got vaccinated, then all of a sudden, okay, well, vaccination must be good because they uh, they did it. And then finally, I think to go a little bit more on your side, uh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be new things to bash people about. And so, you know, maybe, maybe COVID won't be so political. <laughs> that's my idea. That's the idealistic. For so we'll you. just, we'll, 
we'll find other things to argue about. I, 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 I do worry that we're in a very weird period where, I mean, the Republican leadership was thinking about, you know, holding up the entire funding of the government because of the president's vaccine mandate. Um, you know, we're 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 in a very odd time. I, you know, I thought it's a, it's a, it's going to be interesting to see. New York went its direction with a. 100% vaccine mandate for every private employer in New York. It's interesting that Mayor de Blasio timed this perfectly, that the mandate will go in four days before he leaves office. <laughs> um, but it's a, um, there, there is something too. I mean, what's happening in hospitals around America that are requiring vaccine mandates, is there a substantial minority, you know, let's say five to 10% that, it, that are holdouts up until the deadline? And then the vast majority of people, even the vaccine skeptics, were, some of them are folks are leaving those hospitals, but the vast majority are getting vaccinated. Tyson Foods, red state meat producer, found that with a strong vaccine mandate, it worked. But the politics of the moment, David, make me a little bit more measured. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm less optimistic than your blue sky, happy view of the world. I I I mean, at the end of the day, most most flus are not st- are are not stopped because there's a vaccine. Although there are some examples of that, um, they happen like the Spanish flu when they burn out with either some combination of uh, uh, immunity plus vaccinations. And I think I fear that's the path yeah. we're on. Well, John, you know, I know, and maybe in another uh, episode, we'll we'll talk about our shared concern about what happens to this country. I am an idealist in terms of being a you know a believer. Uh, in the United States of America and its uh, constitutional system. And I've been very concerned about it being uh, attacked. And I, I do uh, worry that uh, COVID is being used as a way to, uh, to do that. And let's face it, it's not actually a both sides thing. This is more of a Republican strategy. And it's important, I think, that we actually work to uh, try uh, to, you know, to make it less uh, political and, and really partly just for the public health reasons, but also just to hold the, the country together. And a couple of ideas about how to do that. One is, remember, we had this more gratitude at the at the local level about the, you know, essential workers early on. I think it'd be good to, to bring that back and also have some empathy for, you know, others' point of view. And let's just say that you were given the example, uh, sort of the blue state, red state, uh, you know, death rates, much higher in the red states now. Um, on the other hand, you know, speaking from the, uh, the more the, you know, democratic viewpoint, there was this view that there is not a trade-off between kind of restrictions and economic growth, that they, they go hand in hand. And yet, actually, we've seen probably that's not quite the case. If you lock down more, you're going to have, at least in the near term, uh, some, you know, depression uh, in, in the growth rate. So I think some empathy. I, and- I, 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 you know, you're on a really important thing. There's a fabulous book out by George Packer, where he talks about trying to connect with his, his, uh, he's more liberal like with his more conservative um, neighbors. He's kind of afraid of it, but he raises a lot of really great issues. The fact is that a lot of the school shutdowns in blue states um, did not actually, it would appear, create a much that much lower infection rate for COVID alpha, the first variation, uh, but significantly damaged kids' access and ability uh, to perform based on their education. So those school shutdowns were not great. I think there are a lot of blue state governors and mayors 
Um, the lockdowns did destroy certain businesses and a lot of people's livelihood. And people at a time of already tension and a sense of a loss of control being as part of the, the Trump chaos chorus of government and, and the uncertainty of the economy, that, that they felt even less certain of what was going on and less in control of their lives. And I think that triggered um, a, a, a real le a level of anger that there's a longer tail of than I think a lot of the blue state leaders recognize. And you saw that in how thinly uh, Governor Murphy of New Jersey won, even though people approve of, a lot of people approve of the way he handled it, uh, COVID. He, he, was, he was kind of a, he, he kind of shut the state down. Um, and you're seeing pretty high favorability among red state governors who kept states open. Um, and, you know, there, there, there's definitely more middle ground than either political leader would su suggest because it feels like people are kind of locked into positions of shutdown or not, vaccine or not. The thing is, there's, I think what we're willing to say, you know, and I'll, I'll, uh, we're both registered uh, Democrats, or at least last time I checked, you, you know, you were as well. And yeah, not everything the Democrats did was the was the right thing. Now you have to have a ability to actually have that discussion and to feel that somebody who's you know maybe registered a different way would also not just say, "Hey, see, you were you were wrong about everything. You're wrong about that," but actually to have a more common discussion uh, about where where we actually go so that we can improve and get on the right track and have some shared goals. That's what I want to get back to. Um, how we may have to wind the clock back some years to get to that, uh, to that point. And it, it was never completely there. Well, I, I think the reality, David, is it is there, but we're going to have to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to define that common ground. And perhaps it's around the flag and patriotism. It certainly does feel like Russia and China and others are looking to knock us off the block as the global leader. And that might actually shake us into a level of focus on 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 common purpose. You know, there is a real battle for freedom and liberty across the globe that we, as the leaders of the free world as America, really are responsible for. Um, and I and I think perhaps that'll get us there. But right now the progress is grim. And I think if we're going to be optimistic about anything, it's that the healthcare system is delivering. We actually do have vaccines that work. We're getting fast information on boosters. You know, uh, Omicron is scary, but it's not that scary because we've got vaccines and boosters, a system that's dialed into sequencing and understanding the genome, the, 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 the damaging genetic profile of these pathogens, but also we're creating therapeutics. We're tweaking the therapeutics for everything that comes. We've got a system that actually is in, uh, in the developed world. We're getting the best out of our healthcare system. And I I do think if there's optimism here, it's here, David, and what perhaps could bring us together is the fact that the healthcare system, whether you get COVID or you get vaccinated or you get lucky, is going to be there to keep people healthy. And that is something I think we should be grateful for. And the American healthcare system is delivering. Well, John, my mandate for you is going to be stay positive, <laughs> test negative. <laughs> In any case, that's it for uh, yet another edition of Care Talk. We're talking today about sort of a meta topic uh, about whether COVID-19 is political and how to make it less so. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. 
And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. While we focus a lot on what pulls us apart, there's a lot that brings us together. So let's focus on what the healthcare system is doing well, how we're going to survive and thrive through the pandemic. And for those out there who are surviving and thriving, please subscribe.